I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and find Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. It is great to be in Nightdale, North Carolina. Now, I left Raleigh area, Wake Forest, in 1996, and y'all have come a long way. I got off of 540 in Nightdale. I was like, this ain't Nightdale. Anyway, so uh, if you're glad to be here tonight, say, uh-huh. Say, oh, yeah. Say, oh, baby. Just trying to get a feel of what I'm working with here. I'm going to share some things with you tonight, kind of about me and my family. Then we're going to dig into the text. But I feel like if you know some of these things, some of these things about me, it will help. Uh, it will help our time together this week. Uh, Pastor Jared already mentioned uh, that the last time we were together, I was uh, newlywed. So it was about eight years ago. I just celebrated my eight-year wedding anniversary. And uh, what he did not mention to you is that my wife is hot. There's a Christian book on dating called He's Hot, She's Hot, and Hot stands for Holy, Outrageous, and Teachable. You bunch of pagans thought I meant something else, didn't you? Yeah, I can tell. She's also Fine, and Fine stands for Fine. So uh, God has given me a hot, fine wife. God has blessed us with three kids, my my oldest little girl is uh, Lauren Kate. She's five years old. She's the prettiest little cappuccino-colored girl you've ever seen in your entire life. Gibson, he's my four-year-old. He turned four last week. And Gibson, he's my he's my warrior. He's my man's man. Gibson, when Gracie, our youngest, was born, Grandpa said to Gibson, Gibson, we have to be gentle with Gracie. And Gibson said he was three at the time. He said, yeah, that's going to be hard, Grandpa. No kidding, seriously, as serious as can be. Grandpa said, why is that going to be hard? And Gibson said, because of all my superpowers. <laughs> and then Gracie, she is uh, 15, 16 months old now, and she is daddy's little girl. I tell people, she's my ghetto baby. That little girl will cut you. She is me. I mean, she's just like, ah, she's all up in your space. But man, God has been so, so good to us. Here's the other thing you need to know about me as we make our way through this week. And hear me out before you judge me. From time to time, I listen to country and western music. I do, I do. We get some of y'all that excited about the Lord, we might have revival. But let me tell you why. For, for 10 years of my life, I traveled in full-time evangelism, sometimes as many as 180 days a year. And uh, I'd get to the end of a meeting like this, and actually, the truth of the matter is, the last revival we were in, a hurricane was coming through this area. So I finished preaching on Wednesday night at about 8 or 8.30, and probably a little later, but and I got my car, and I drove home. I shouldn't tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you because I like y'all. Hurricane's coming, right, to this area, and people are like, leave town, get someplace to here. And there's the sweetest lady. I mean, she was so sweet there every night of the revival. And she came up to me, and she said, she said pray for me, Pastor, because I live in a single life. And I said, well, I will, but you're not going to stay there, are you? And she said, oh, no, I've got some friends with a double wife. And so that's where I, I promise. But I, I'll, if I'm close enough to get home, I'm going to get home, and I'm going to drive through the night a lot of times to go see my hot wife and my beautiful family, and I listen to country music because it's funny. It will keep you awake when you're driving at night. There's, there's some romantic songs and some spiritual songs. Like I think about this song... I think my wife, when I hear the song, uh, her teeth were stained, but her heart was pure. See, that's kind of <laughs> spiritual. There's another country song, true song. 
It's, my wife likes me to sing this to her. If my nose were full of nickels, I'd blow it all on you. See? There's some not-so-spiritual songs like Thank God and Greyhound, She's Gone. And then there's the other classic, Ain't Been No Trash in My Trailer Since the Night I Kicked You Out. There's the one the teenagers like to sing, You Can Put Me in Prison, But You Can't my, Stop My Face From Breaking Out. And then there's the one that my mom likes to sing to my dad. It goes something like this, You're the reason our kids are so ugly. All kidding aside, by God's grace, uh, really my short life, I'll turn 40 this summer. Uh, I've, I've been able to travel really all over the world, literally just all, all over the, around the globe. And no matter where I go, people like to sing. Now, we have different styles and different preferences, but the truth of the matter is God has made us a singing people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Job chapter 38 that when God brought this world into existence, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted aloud for joy. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said that next to theology, I give to music the greatest place and the highest honor. God has placed inside the core of our being as human beings this, this desire to sing and for music. We get to the text tonight in Ezra chapter 3, we find the children of God singing. But it is no ordinary song they're singing. The truth of the matter is, it's a song of rebuilding or a song of revival. And what we're going to find out tonight as we make our way through the text is that if God, for whatever reason, decides in the sovereignty of God to send revival, to send renewal to this church or to your heart, we will not have to walk away asking the question, was that revival? No, it will be distinct in its sound and its nature. So the question that we're going to ask tonight as we approach the text is this, what does it sound like when God does a reviving, a rebuilding work in the hearts of his people? You need to know what's happening in the text. The children of Israel have just returned for what will ultimately be 70 years of Babylonian captivity. In Ezra chapter 3, we're about 50 years removed. But you need to know, there came a time in the life of the nation of Israel, in the life of the children of God, where God said, enough. It's enough. I've had enough of you playing church or worship games or religious games. I've had enough of you dragging my name through the mud. And as a part of God's disciplining act of grace, he sent King Nebuchadnezzar to the city of Jerusalem to burn it down to the ground. He will send them into what ultimately will be 70 years of Babylonian captivity, but with that disciplining act of grace, God promises to send them back. And in Ezra chapter 3, they're back. And the first temple, which King Solomon built, has been burned to the ground, and now they are building the second temple. It is a time of rebuilding, or a time of renewal, or revival. So what does that sound like? If you've got a copy of God's Word with you tonight, I'm going to invite you to read with me Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. The Bible said, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a loud shout or a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the, when the foundation of this temple was laid 
before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. May God honor the reading of his word. I believe the text gives us four very clear, simple songs of revival. I think one of the first songs of revival that revival produces, number one, revival produces a glad song of gratitude. It produces a glad song of gratitude. Back in verse 10, they've laid the foundation of the the temple. Again, this isn't the first temple. This is the second temple. And the Bible says the priest stood in their apparel. Uh, They've got trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals. They've got some trumpets. They've got some cymbals. They're about to have a worship service. And I just need to warn you, it's going to get very, very loud. And the Bible says, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. That phrase literally means according to the hand of David, king of Israel. While the author of Ezra wants us to understand something, they are dressed just like King David taught them to dress. While they are playing their instruments just like King David taught them to play their instruments. But one of the messages of Ezra is this, listen, the same God of King David is the same God of the Israels, Israelites of the return to Jerusalem. Why the message of Ezra, of Ezra is this, that the same God who led them into captivity, stay with me, is the same God bringing them out of captivity. Why the message of Ezra is not just a historical account of the return of the nation of Israel, stay with me, the message of Ezra is a theological account to the faithfulness of God to His people. God finishes what He starts among His people. And so they're standing just like David and they're worshiping just like David taught them to worship and they begin to sing uh, for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Verse 11 says they sang responsibly or they answered one another. It's the idea of singing in a round kind of. And I thought singing in a round started with Sesame Street and row, row, row your boat. But right in the Old Testament they're going to sing in a round. Or it's the idea of of being in a game and maybe one side of the stadium shouts something and the other side of the stadium shouts back and responds to that that side of the stadium. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and some of you know that Georgia, a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans in Athens and North Georgia, grown men down on the knees barking like dogs. It's a blessing, I promise you. Go dogs. But if you happen to be in... Uh, Bulldog Stadium on one Saturday during college football season, uh, one side of the stadium might shout out, Go! The other respond, Dogs! Go! Dogs! You, you get the idea. That's what's happening in the text, but they're not shouting, Go, Dogs. One side of this crowd begins to shout, For He is good! The other responds, For His mercy endures forever, for He is good, for His loving kindness endures forever. He is good, for His mercy endures forever. So when God gives them this chance to start over, this opportunity to rebuild, there's an overwhelming sense that it is simply because of the goodness of God. I have to believe they understood that God didn't owe them a second chance. It was simply because of his goodness you know when god gets you to place and gets me to place our life we understand how far we've come and the depths of our own sin and our own choices and god gets you to place where you flat get it he's allowing me to start over there's a humble glad sense 
of gratitude because it's because of his good. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. And then they sing in response, for his mercy endures forever. Some of you say, for his mercy endures forever. Some of your Bibles say, for his love endures forever. Some of your Bibles say, for his loving kindness endures forever. Some of your Bibles may say, for his faithfulness endures forever. Sure, we have some Bible scholars among us tonight. Which translation is correct? That's right, they're all correct. Well, that word in the Hebrew is just as difficult to try to get your arms around and to define as if it were for me to ask you exactly what is love. But this is more than love. This is covenantal love. This is faithful love. This is merciful love. This is undeserved love. If I were to say to some of you, what's the God of the New Testament like? Some of you might say, well, the God of the New Testament... He's a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of forgiveness and a God of grace and a God of peace and a God of gentleness. And then I already said to you, okay, well, what's the God of the Old Testament like? Some of you might say, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's a God of wrath and a God of war and a God of vengeance and a God of justice. But right here in the Old Testament, they sing for his love endures forever. Truth of the matter is, this isn't the first time they sing this course. The first time they sing this course is when King David gets the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem for the first time. And he teaches the people to sing, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Over and over again in the Psalms, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. When King Solomon dedicates the first temple, the Bible says the glory of God fills that place so much so that the priests can't even get in. And Solomon and all the people fall on their face to the pavement and cry out, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Here's the point. It's always, always, always been by the mercy of God that anybody ever comes into this presence. God doesn't owe you squat. That's Greek. You can look it up later. Stay with me. Sir, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a good job. He doesn't owe you a decent place to live. He doesn't owe you good health. He doesn't owe you breath to breathe. He doesn't owe you love. He doesn't owe you forgiveness. God doesn't owe you anything. Every single thing you have in your life is simply because of the mercy and the grace of God. And when God does a rebuilding work, I mean a God-sized rebuilding work in people's lives, there's this overwhelming sense of a glad song of gratitude. There's no place for pride or arrogance. You show me a place where the Spirit of God is moving, and I'll show you a place filled with a bunch of people who flat get it, but by the grace of God, so do I. There's a glad sort of gratitude that's produced when God sends revival. I reminded this little girl, she went to um, some friend's house for supper one night, and uh, the vegetable that night was buttered broccoli. Her friend's mom said, darling, do you like buttered broccoli? The little girl said, yes, ma'am, I love buttered broccoli. Yet that night when they started to pass the dinner around the table and the buttered broccoli got in front of the little girl, she said, no, thank you, I, I don't care for any. Her friend's mom said, well, darling, I thought you said you'd love buttered broccoli. And she said, well, yes, ma'am, I do, but not enough to eat it.
Jesus said, you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? Because they're in obedience and you're serious. I wonder how many of us sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But I don't have to actually tell somebody else about it. Oh, how I love Jesus, but I don't have to actually like give a tithe or offering. Oh, how I love Jesus, but I don't have to stop treating my wife like a piece of garbage. Well, sure, I love Jesus, but I don't have to honor my mom and dad. Well, sure, I love Jesus, but I don't have to change the stuff that I watch and listen to and how I live and how I treat people who aren't like me. But sure, I love Jesus. The real anthem of the church is not, oh, how we love Jesus. The real anthem of the church is amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Revival produces a glad song of gratitude. Number two, revival produces a sincere song of praise. I want you to see what begins to happen at the end of verse 11. I want you to see how loud this passage is. The end of verse 11, all the people shouted with a great shout. The end of verse 12, the old men wept with a loud voice, yet many shouted aloud for joy. Verse 13, the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the sound was heard afar off. Some of you wondered, hey preacher, why are you yelling? Because the text is yelling. This is a loud passage. If you're reading your Bible in a short phrase or paragraph or short section of scripture, there's a word or an idea that's repeated over and over again. That's the Bible's way of telling you this is a big deal. So we've got to ask the question, why the shouting? Why the loud noise? Why is this text so loud? Well, if you understand where Israel was before they went into exile, they had a worship problem. The problem wasn't that they didn't know the song. The problem wasn't a style problem. God will say through his prophet, these people do honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They were singing the songs, but they weren't meaning what they were singing. They were just words on a screen or a scroll, I guess. I don't know what they had back then. They were just going through the motions. Commentators say that this shout can be associated with a, with a war cry. It's as if their hearts were overfilled with praise. Part of what I do is I speak to youth groups and I go to camps and things like that. I remember several years ago I was at a youth camp and they had this really cool youth band. I mean like one of the cool, trendy ones. You know what they, those kind of bands, they look like they haven't had a bath in a month. So a cool looking band. I walk into the room and man, they, were, they were pretty rocky. Had, you know, guitars and drums and just, it's wide. And they're singing this song. I'm madly in love with you. Yeah, I'm madly in love with you. Yeah, I'm madly in love with you. Just over and over and over. It was a blessing, I assure you. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I got over the style thing a long time ago. If it's theologically sound and it moves people to genuinely worship him and so I'm singing with the kids and I'm, I'm like you know it's got a cool beat or whatever and, and then I start thinking about the words I'm madly in love with you and again you studied this morning Jesus said if you love me you will keep my commandments and so Jesus measures our love for him not by what we say but by how we live and so what we were really singing was I'm madly living for you yeah God I'm madly living for you 
So in my little preacher corner over there, I just, I stopped singing and I'm like, God, can I sing this to you? And you receive it as a genuine offering from me. I'll be honest with you tonight. I had to do some business with God just between me and him. When I stood up to preach after that, I, I thanked the band for raising the bar because they did raise the bar. But I asked the teenagers, could we sing it this way? God, I'm madly in love with you by the way I treat my parents. Honor your father and mother for this is right in the Lord. God, I'm madly in love with you by what I do with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable act of worship. By the way, I'm not a singer or a poet, just a preacher. Stay with me. God, I'm madly in love with you by the things I say and do. That one actually rhymes. You get the idea. We, we get on our teenagers because of the music they listen to, right? And what do they say? Oh, I'm not, I'm not listening to the words. I just like the beat, dog. First of all, I'm not your dog. But, you know, secondly, I, I think they may be telling the truth. You know where I think they get it from? From us. You, you, you guys have probably never sung a hymn like this, but there is a hymn in the Baptist hymn that goes something like this. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust, and his presence daily live. All? Every day? Pastor Jared, give me a handful of people who can sing that hymn and mean every word of it, and this city, this area, this county will never be the same. Sir, could you sing it this way? God, I'm madly in love with you by what I do with my money. For your treasures there your heart will be also. I'm madly in love with you by the way I treat my spouse. Husbands dwell with your wives with understanding. You get, you get the idea. Husbands wives, Christ love the church. You get the idea, right? You know what happens when God sends revival to a group of people? There's a sincerity that returns to our worship or our singing as a part of worship. And it doesn't matter if Amazing Grace is played on an old dusty pipe organ or somebody leads it on an electric guitar. That's me. I was the wretch that was lost. I'm the one that's found. It was His Amazing Grace that saved me. And all of a sudden, I'm not so concerned about the style as I am about what it's saying and if it's true and if it's true of me. I'll be honest, even my own life, I've got to check myself. When I'm sitting in the service, I'm singing songs, and I catch just like all of us, man, my mind starts to to drift, are there going to be any ACC teams left in the tournament? You know what I mean? Your mind just drifts. Question. Are you, just, are you just going through the motions? To be honest with you, in traveling as much as I've traveled and preached as much as I've preached for 10 years, I mean, I've traveled a bunch. I'm sitting in churches sometimes, they're singing stuff. I'm like, you don't even like what you're singing. Revival produces a sincere song of praise. There was a change in their musical, their singing worship, in their life worship toward God. Revival produces a glad song of gratitude, a sincere song of praise. And number three, revival produces an inviting song. I'm sorry, revival produces 
a sad song of regret. Look what happens in verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites, heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice, and the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. So what you have here are some older gentlemen who were there to see the first temple. Now again, at this point, we're about 50 years removed from the burning down of the temple. King Nebuchadnezzar come to Jerusalem, burn it all to the ground. So in my mind, I'm guessing these guys have got to be elementary age, teenage, maybe in their 20s when this all happens. And when the new foundation is laid, they begin to wail. Scholars disagree as to why they wail. Now, at this point, it's just the foundation. We do know that ultimately, this second temple, this new worship center, doesn't even begin to compare to the splendor of King Solomon's first temple. But at this point, it's just the footers, right? Pretty much on the same place where the first one was. Pretty much the same dimension. So why are they weeping? Some say that they're weeping because every church has got a handful of older people who don't like change and it's never going to be as good as it used to be. Now, thank the Lord, there are none of those in this church. Now, if you're a guest tonight, you met somebody who's older and mean, that's the only one this church has got. Everybody else is sweet, all right? Let's be honest, I consider myself a fairly young man, but I, I don't even like to change much. And none of us really like it. So it could be a very real possibility. It's kind of this whole, the new one and what happened, the old one and this whole change. That could be a possibility. And it happens. But there's another line of thing that goes something like this. As these old men make their way past the old ruins and they see the new foundation, their minds rush back to the past. And it's kind of like when people's homes have been destroyed after a tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake. And as they begin to make their way through the rubble and the ruins, a lot of times, ladies, what are they looking for? Pictures, memorabilia. Because here's the deal. The structure, a lot of times, isn't sure. The structure can be rebuilt. But get this, there are some things that will never be the same. And I have to wonder, as they see this new foundation, if they don't start to think stuff like this, how did we ever get so far? from God that he had to take it all to get our attention. How did did my heart ever get so cold and hard to the things of God that he had to take it all? And i got to believe they start to remember how far they've come. There was a time when we first built that sucker and man, it was good and it was pure and it was just about him. But something happened. Could I take you back to a place today in your walk with God where all you wanted was Him? Could I take you back to a place today where you couldn't get up early enough in the morning to spend time with Him in the Word? I mean, can I take you back to a place in your walk with God where, sir, you couldn't keep enough tracks in your pocket and you were driving your family nuts because you just wanted to be saved? There is no revival until we get honest about our need for revival. Until we get honest about the fact that we drifted 
and how far we've come. I got to believe, knowing a little bit about this church, there are some of you who've been here a while. Giants in the faith, and this building, and this property didn't happen by accident. Some champions of the cause of Christ. And can I, I, man, I want to be so careful I see this. I, I love senior adults. You're, you, you guys are the you're the funnest. You know where the best food is, the best restaurants are. You guys are, that's what I want to hang with. But I could, can I say something to you? God's not done with you. When God is done with you, you will flat know it. But as long as you have breath to breathe, God's got a job for you. Your best days shouldn't be behind you. If God's still got you life, God's still got a job for you to do. And shame on you for sitting on the sidelines and backing off from the things of God and the call of God. God wants to use you for His kingdom. Revival produces a sad song of regret. But just as quick as he talks about this weeping and wailing at the end of verse 12, yet many shouted aloud for joy. So you got folks weeping, you got some folks shouting. Verse 13, they couldn't discern the noise and the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Here's the fourth song. Revival produces an inviting song of change. You see the picture? You have a group of worshipers, and there's loud weeping and wailing. There's loud shouting and rejoicing. Isn't that how church ought to be anyway? What county are we in? Are we in Wake County still? If there's any place in Wake County I should be able to go and weep when I need to weep, it ought to be with the people of God. I mean, there's any place I should be able to go where I, when I've blown it and when I've failed miserably, whether I've blown my marriage or whatever else, and I've just, man, I've fallen off the wagon. If there's any place I should be able to come and be honest when I'm struggling and when I'm hurting, it ought to be with God's people. And if there's any place I ought to be able to come when I've experienced loss and somebody's died or I've got bad news and I'm hurting, if there's any place I should be able to come and to be real and weep, it ought to be with God's people. But sometimes church is the most difficult place on the planet to be honest. How you doing, brother? Oh, man, things are good. Fish are biting this weekend. Good weekend. Knowing you're addicted to pornography. How you doing, sister? Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Made an apple pie this weekend. Mm-mm, good. Praise the Lord. Knowing you've been mad at God ever since you lost that baby. What's up, man? Oh, it's all good, dog. Just chilling. Knowing you and your girlfriend engaged in sexual morality. And the list goes on and on. You know what we do? We fake it. We fake it. You know what happens when the Spirit of God sends genuine and God sent revival? We don't have to fake it anymore. We don't have to fake it anymore. Which, by the way, Jesus said, I came for the sick. The truth of the matter is, we're all sick. We're just not willing to admit that we're sick. But we all need His saving grace in our life. And we all need His sustaining grace in our life. And if there's any place I should be able to come and rejoice and to shout for joy, it ought to be 
with the people of God. I'm not sure if you got the memo or not, but Jesus Christ is alive and we win in the end and this world is not my home. I'm just kind of passing through and if nothing else, I've got reason to rejoice. I'm with the old country preacher who says we need to change the name on the sign out front. Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, happy hour. This ought to be the happiest place in town. What that little preacher say, man, we ought to be so filled with the blood of Jesus if a mosquito bites us, he flies away singing, there's power in the blood. Even in the worst of news, I can rejoice. Why? Because Jesus is mine and I'm his and this world's not my home. And one day I'll spend eternity with him and guess what? One day he'll say it's enough. No more death, no more dying, no more tears, no more sorrow. So I always have cause to rejoice. Even in life's most difficult circumstances because I'm saved. And the sound was heard afar off. Some versions say the sound was heard for miles or a great distance. As a matter of fact, when you get to the next chapter, the enemies of God come and say, we've heard something's been going on on Temple Mount. Can we be involved? They weren't willing to acknowledge God as the one true God. But nonetheless, when God's people got right, the word went out. Lots of different churches. Some churches say, well, we're all about evangelism and bringing in the lost and re- uh, bringing in the sheaves and reaching the lost. Some churches say, well, we're all about discipleship and the deep things of God. Jesus said, Come follow me. That's discipleship. And I will make you fishers of men. That's evangelism. He never intended for the two to be separated. And if you ain't fishing, you ain't following. Bad grammar, good theology. When God sends revival, there's a fresh burden for the law. All of a sudden, we're not all caught up in the stuff and the things and the houses and the cars. You, you get, if that's all expensive firewood, you can't take it with you. It's about souls. Lost people. And sharing it. And seeing people the way God sees them. People with a soul who are going to spend eternity in one or two places. The 18th century gave us some of the greatest preachers of the English language. In the 18th century, there was a group of men called the Holiness Club at Oxford University. In that group was a guy by the name of Jonathan Wesley. Jonathan Wesley started the Methodist movement. Who knows how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people met Jesus Christ through what Jonathan Wesley originally intended. His brother was also in that group, a guy by the name of Charles Wesley. They say Charles Wesley wrote over 6,000 hymns. Get this, today, all around the world, millions of people will sing a hymn that was written by Charles Wesley. There was an evangelist who was also in that group. His name was George Whitfield. Whitfield was used by God to lead hundreds of thousands, if not millions, to faith in Jesus Christ. One of Whitfield's converts was a guy by the name of Robert Robinson. And Mr. Robinson was a lost guy, and he did what lost people do. And by the way, don't forget, lost people do what lost people do because they're lost. He was gloriously saved in the preaching of George Whitfield. Robinson wrote his testimony in a book of verse, what we would call a hymnal today. Some of you will recognize Mr. Robinson's testimony. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise thy mouth, I'm fixed upon it. Mouth of thy redeeming love. A sad thing happened to Mr. Whitfield's convert. He began to backslide and become a carnal Christian. Wasn't living for God like he once used to. 
As legend has it, supposedly Mr. Robinson was riding a stagecoach one day and seated opposite him was a woman who did not know him and he did not know her. But she was reading a book of verse or a hymn on She said, would you listen to this beautiful verse? Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of love. Supposedly Mr. Robinson could stand it, no, or supposedly Mr. Robinson was too embarrassed to say anything, to even lift his head. He didn't say a word. She got to the second part of the last verse. It goes something like this. Prone to wander, Lord I know, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Supposedly at that point, Mr. Robinson could stand it no longer. And then he said, stop. I'm the poor, unhappy man who composed that verse so many years ago. I'd give a thousand worlds now to enjoy the feelings I had there. After the lady got over her initial shock, she reminded Mr. Robinson that those streams of mercy he had written about so many years ago still flow. nothing else in my coming from Atlanta to Raleigh, Nightingale area. Can I tell you something? God's mercy still flows tonight. And my heart like yours is prone to wander. There come those seasons, those times in life when God in His grace allows us to see just how far we've come. The fact that we're going through the motions and we need a fresh start, a fresh touch, a time of rebuilding. Maybe just maybe tonight's that night for you. Just a moment, we're going to open up these stairs and make the front of this room an altar. There might be a husband and a wife who have been faking it. Your marriage is about to fall apart. You need a touch of God in your marriage. And your pride is what's keeping you from admitting you need help. You need to come down here, find a place in this altar, and say, God, would you send a revival? God, we need to start up. We need a fresh start. There may be a teenager in this room tonight who's playing games with God. You know it. God knows it. you got everybody else in the church full, but you know the truth. And God says, it's time to stop faking it. Some of the songs, they just, don't, they just don't do it for you like they used to. Nothing's changed about the song. But something's happening here. And tonight, express the humility before God to fall on your knees and say, God, I need a revival. God, you let it start with me. And there may be some in this room that you don't need to be revived. You need to be vibed. <laughs> You've never met Jesus Christ. This joy that I'm talking about means absolutely nothing to you. But here's what you've seen. Somebody in this church whose life has been changed by God. And the reason you came is because they invited you. And they'd be the first ones to tell you Jesus Christ made all the difference. In just a moment, we stand and begin to sing. Pastor Jerry's going to be right down here at the front. I'm going to invite you to come take Pastor by the hand and say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I need to be changed. I need a new life in Christ. I need to be forgiven of my sin give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior tonight. I'm going to ask that we all stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you stand with me? And I want to begin to pray. After I pray, we're going to begin to sing a song about being in the potter's hands and the fact that God is the only one who can really change us. And that's the invitation tonight to come and ask God to allow God to do what only God can do. And that's to change you. It may be a fresh start. It may be a new start. It may be a... An opportunity, God, I need you to save me tonight, make me a new creation in Christ, but whatever God is saying to you tonight, I pray that all our answers would be the same as the song that we supposedly sang early in the service, which said this, Yes, Lord, 
Did you mean it? If God is speaking to you right now, did you mean that when you sang that? Or were you just going through the most? Yes, Lord. After I pray and we begin to sing, if you need to come, I beg you by the mercy of Jesus Christ to respond to him tonight. God in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is, is honest. It always tells us the truth, but it always tells us the truth in love for the goal of redemption and bringing us back to you.